0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for your Word. Thank you for the opportunity to break the bread of your Word with your people. And if there's somebody who's listening who is not A believer at this time, I pray, Lord, that you would draw them to Jesus because your word says that that no man can come to Jesus except you draw him and nobody could get to you, Father, except they go through Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so I pray that you remove spiritual blinders. I pray against the enemy who likes to snatch away the seed of the word before it even takes root. So I pray against the enemy and his schemes and tactics and attacks I pray, Father, that you help us all to have open and receptive hearts to your Word and to the work of your spirit. Help us, Lord, just to have that heart not not just with words but to truly have that heart that says, "Lord, here am I and so we want to have that heart of surrender, that heart of just wanting to be used by you, and so we want to be equipped, Lord, so equip us through your word and by your spirit and I just pray that we will leave this place better than when we came in and bless all of the teaching that is going on on the campus tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we are in 2 Samuel chapter 18. 2 Samuel chapter 18. And the title of the message is in the form of a question. It's actually an entire sentence there. Does God take pleasure in the death of the wicked? Does God take pleasure in the death of wicked? the wicked. So I asked that question, or as I ask that question, many of you, or many of us, I should say, uh, find that it's an easy question to answer. You know, many of us know that God, of course, does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so we know that it's easy for us to answer but unfortunately for other people in the world, they are not so sure. And, and even if you know that God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, um, you may not know how to show proof of that yet because maybe you haven't found any scriptures or whatever the case may be, but somehow some way you know it has just been ingrained in you. And, and so today we're going to get a clear answer, a clear understanding um, of this topic and a clear way to answer this question. And we're also going to see how this topic relates to us. Because every message, of course, will relate to us. There, there is some application there. Some messages will encourage. Some messages will step on our toes. Some, some messages, of course, will uh, convict us, which is another way of stepping on our toes. And, and, and some of them, of course, will... Just challenge us to, to do something that we have not been doing, or perhaps to stop doing something that, that we've been doing that, that the Lord isn't pleased with. And so uh, we may find all of those in the same message. And so uh, my goal is to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us all and to help soften our hearts. And so we want to look at verse 1 in 2 Samuel chapter 18. It says, And David numbered the people or the troops who were with him. And he said, captains or commanders of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. Then David sent out one third of the people under the hand of Joab, one third under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah. That's David's sister. And also Abishai is Joab's brother, as you see there in verse 2. And he also sent out one third under the hand of Ittai, the Gittite, which means that Ittai is from Gath. And the king, speaking of David, said to the people, he said this to the troops. I also will surely go out with you myself. I'm going to fight with you. But the people answered in verse three, you shall not go out. For if we flee away, they will not care about us. Nor if half of us die, will they care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us now, for you are now more help to us in the city. And the city he's in at this time is Mahanaim. And so that's where he is according to 2 Samuel chapter 17. And so in verse 4, uh, the king said to them, whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside or at the side of the gate, that is the gate of the city, and and all the people or the troops, they went out by hundreds and by thousands. And in verse 5, it says, Now the king had commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains or these commanders orders concerning Absalom. And so if you're new, if you're visiting, uh, if you're just uh, tuning in to the study, you haven't really been following along, Absalom is one of King David's son. And King David, of course, is the king of Israel, but he is on the run because Absalom is being rebellious and he's trying to take away the throne from his dad. And so you have a situation here where son is going going against dad and dad really doesn't want to hurt him, as you can see here. And so what what I see here in these first five verses is something interesting because we see that David's soldiers, his troops, they knew that Absalom, which is, again, David's son and his troops, mainly wanted to kill David. They want to take out the threat to the throne, King David, which is... uh, the king that God appointed anyway. And so the soldiers, David's soldiers, they didn't want this older, more vulnerable David to join them in battle. And David, by the way, is the leader. He's the head. And so imagine this. If the head is gone, then Absalom's takeover would be complete. If the true leader is out of the picture then Absalom's rebellion and his usurping of the throne will, will finally be complete. And, and then he would rule over all of the people of Israel for sure. And so the troops knew that. They said, no, you don't go with us. We don't want them to take you out. You're, you're the head. You're the king. We don't want them to take you out. But, but what I see here is a picture of the devil's strategy and the devil is our spiritual enemy. We, we see a picture of his strategy I mean because he would like to take out the head. He would like to take out the leaders. And in this case, I'm talking about the leaders of the home, which are the men, which are the husbands. He would love for the husbands and, and, and the fathers to be taken out of the picture because the husbands, the fathers, they are the spiritual leaders. They are the priests, the pastors of their home. And so the enemy would use strategies, certain strategies to take the men off course, to get them out of position, to cut off the head, so to speak. And so he would use temptations and distractions like work, putting in these crazy hours at work to now he's not taking responsibility of being the spiritual head of his home because he's spending more time at work than at home. And so the enemy would use those temptations and, and distractions to cut off the head, so to speak. He would use the temptation of pornography. Hobbies. Things like that. And you see, you see the strategy of the enemy is to cut off the head. The men. And so in the neighborhood where I grew up, of course. You know, South Central L.A. Right there in the hood of L.A. As people would say, there were a lot of homes where the fathers were not present. You see the strategy of the enemy. Of course, you can account it to some free will, but you also see them playing into the strategy, into the hand of the enemy and using their free will to do whatever they did to make whatever decision they made to not be in the home. And so that's a strategy of the of the enemy. And so guess what? If the men aren't the spiritual leaders in the home as they ought to be, the head is cut off, so to speak, then they're usually not leading in the church as they should. You know, in fact, for example, the enemy will love it when pastors fall. You know, it's easy. It's so easy to find reports when, when there are pastors who fall into sin, when there's pastors who cheat on their wives, caught in adultery, or caught in some kind of scandal. You can—you don't even have to turn to the back page or scroll all the way down on that website to find the story. It's right there near the top. The enemy loves it when pastors fall, when spiritual leaders fall, when the head falls. Oh, he loves it. But, but I wonder, where are the stories about the pastors, about the spiritual leaders who share the gospel who share the message of hope who share the message of love who share the message of true freedom about the true hero jesus christ where where are those stories where are those stories of pastors going into those neighborhoods that are gang infested and sharing the gospel with people who who pe- normal pe- most people don't even want to touch or speak with you know where are those stories where are the stories of the pastor who gives up hours of his weekend to spend time with the grieving families and, and those who are sick in the hospitals? Where are those stories? But, but they will put the stories of the pastor who falls into adultery near the top of the website. Or how about the pastor who extends the, that invitation of salvation and you have all these people giving their lives to Jesus and and these people, when they do that, they are finally set free from whatever they have been enslaved to. Where are those stories? See, the enemy is not interested in those success stories, so to speak. He is interested in, in the spiritual leaders, the head falling, cutting off the head, whether in the church or in the home. You have to see the strategy of the enemy. And in verse six, it says, so the people went out into the field of battle against Israel. And the battle was in the woods, or you could say forest of Ephraim. And this is on the east side of the Jordan River. And the people, or this army of Israel, and these are those who supported Absalom, King David's son. Uh, these people were overthrown there before the servants of David. And a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. In verse eight, it says, for... Uh, The battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside and the woods. That's the hazards of the woods. It devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. And then Absalom, he met the servants or the soldiers of David. Absalom rode on a mule and the mule went under the thick boughs or branches of a great terebinth tree which in some translation is just talking about a giant oak tree and his head got caught in the terebin. And so he was left hanging between heaven and earth. In other words, he was left hanging. He was midair, just hanging by his head, by one of these thick branches of this giant oak and the mule, which was under him went on or just kept going. And so what what we see uh, that had taken place with Absalom was actually foreshadowed. In other words, it was hinted at prior to what we see here in chapter 18. Uh, For example, in 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 26, the Bible tells us that Absalom was a very handsome man and that he, he had this long hair. He had so much hair that at the end of the year, he would cut it and it would weigh about Five pounds, and so he had healthy hair, thick hair, beautiful hair, and so even back in Second Samuel chapter fourteen, it, it was foreshadowing this event that we're seeing here. But we also see a foreshadowing of what would happen because even in this chapter in verse 8, it told us that the forest devoured more people than the sword did on the day of battle. And so here you see Absalom about to be devoured or eaten up by this forest, all these trees. And it's just a crazy obstacle course there. And so you see this man hanging midair by his head. But also... What we need to remember here is that the Lord had purposed to bring harm upon Absalom for all of his wickedness. And that's according to 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 14. So all of these things are working together here. And so in verse 10, it says, Now a certain man saw it, so he saw Absalom hanging by his head, and he told Joab, one of David's commanders, and he said, I just saw Absalom hanging in the terebinth tree. And so Joab said to the man who told him, You just saw him? And why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you 10 shekels or about four ounces of silver and a belt or, or some type of warrior sash. But, but the man said to Joab, Though I were to receive a thousand shekels or about 25 pounds of silver in my hand, I will not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, uh, the king commanded you and Abishai and Entei, saying, Beware, lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise, I would have dealt falsely against my own life. In other words, he's saying, I would have jeopardized my own life if I would have taken out the king's son. For there is nothing hidden from the king and you yourself would have set yourself against me, or you would have abandoned me if this thing were found out, if I would have killed his son. Now, what's strange about all of this, this situation here with Joab just wanted to take out Absalom, is that Joab was actually instrumental in bringing Absalom back to Jerusalem. He was instrumental in helping there to be some type of reconciliation between King David and Absalom because Absalom previously had escaped to a place called Gesher uh, because he pretty much murdered his brother Amnon because Amnon raped his sister Tamar. And, And so Absalom let that build up, had a murder and he took off to Gesher and while he was gone, uh, Joab saw that King David was grieving that he was really longing after Absalom. He missed his son while he was in Gesher for about three years. And so Joab was like, well, let me, let me try to orchestrate something and get him back to Jerusalem and help out in this reconciliation process between father and son. And so Joab was really instrumental in that process. So that's why it's kind of uh, strange that now Joab wants to take him out. He wants to kill Absalom. You see, Joab was willing to disobey the king's orders. He he was willing to disobey David's orders, which were to take it easy on his son, his rebellious son. But there was a man in this lesson who's not even named. The scriptures don't even give this man's name, but, but this man refused to disobey David's Orders. And just like this man, who's not even named, we too should not disobey our king, Jesus Christ, our greater than David. David's descended according to his humanity. We should obey our king. And there's a couple reasons we should obey our king, and we can find a couple of those reasons in this lesson here. First of all, we should obey our king, our greater than David, Jesus Christ just simply because of what he said, because, he would, because of what he told us to do or not to do, we should obey him. And so this man, he heard what David had told his commanders, and David wasn't even talking to him specifically, but he overheard what King David said to them, and he was willing to obey. He was not going to kill David's son, Absalom, even though he was rebellious, and even though Absalom was after King David and after the throne. But the second reason we should obey our king, and again, we find this in our lesson, and the other reason is that our king knows everything. He knows everything. He's, he's watching. He is omniscient, all-knowing. That's all it means. He's all-knowing. And, and notice in verse 13 how this man, this man whose name isn't given, he says, for there is nothing hidden from the king. So he said, look, King David's going to find out. He's going to find out all of his stuff. But our king, he sees it all even before it takes place. He is all knowing. And so those are a couple of reasons we should obey our king because of what he said and simply because he knows everything. He, We can't lie to him and get away with it because he saw us. He he knows what's in our hearts. In verse 14, it says, then Joab said, I cannot linger or waste my time with you. And he took three spears in his hand and he thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. So while he was still hanging, uh, Joab himself finished the job. And 10 young men who carried Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. And in verse 16, it says, so Joab blew the trumpet and the troops, the people, they returned from pursuing Israel for Joab held back the people. So the guy we wanted is dead. So no need of you guys, you know, going after the rest of the people of Israel. So he held him back. And in verse 17, it says, And they took Absalom and they cast him into a large pit in the woods or the forest. And they laid a very large heap of this mound of stones over him. And then all Israel fled, everyone to his tent. Now, Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself. In other words, he built a monument to himself. And it says here, for he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And so he called this monument after his own name. And to this day, it is called Absalom's monument. You know, in Second Samuel uh, chapter 14, verse 27, it actually states that Absalom had three sons and one daughter. But yet, and still, it, it says that, that he had no son to keep his name in remembrance. And so that's why he built this monument to himself. And so many commentators believe this is, you know, maybe the reason it says that is that his sons could have preceded him in death. Uh, Another reason it says that he had no son at this time that he built the monument is that maybe he built this monument before his sons were born. And so those are a couple of reasons, but in either case, he built this monument to himself to keep his name in remembrance. And at this time he had no son to keep his name going. And so he built a monument to himself. Absalom's monument. And I would suggest tonight that, that it doesn't matter what, what kind of monument one builds for themselves. Doesn't matter what kind of pillar, monument you build to help people remember your name and what kind of monuments we have. Maybe it's a degree that you earned or some have multiple degrees. Maybe it's the amount of money in your bank account or the the number of trophies that you have from running track or football or cheerleading. My daughter was a cheerleader. She She won a bunch of cheerleading trophies. So so it doesn't matter what kind of monument you have for yourself, all of these things. But what matters more is how that person's character will be remembered. Uh, What matters more is how that person lived their life. And and to be more specific, what did that person do for Christ in their lifetime? That's what matters more. In in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 7, it says, The memory of the righteous is blessed. But the name of the wicked will rot. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. So how will people remember you? Will they remember you as a child of God, as a servant of Christ? Or will they remember you as something different than that description? In verse 19, it says, Then Ahimeas, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run now and take the news to the king, how the Lord has avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said to him, You shall not take the news this day, for you shall take the news another day. But today you shall take no news because the king's son is dead. So Ahimeas, I know, and he's the priest's son. You know, I know you're used to taking news to David in this difficult time while, while David is in exile. I, I know you're used to being the runner, but, but not today, Ahimeas. Uh, don't take the news today. You're, you're not, that's not going to be your job today. And then Joab in verse 21 said to the Cushite. He's, a Cushite is an Ethiopian. He said to the Ethiopian, Go. Tell the king what you have seen. And so the Cushite bowed himself to Joab and ran. And Ahimeaz, the priest's son, the son of Zadok, said again to Joab, but hey, whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite, after the Ethiopian. And so Joab said, why will you run, my son, since you have no news ready? Other translations say, um, since there's no reward in it for you. But why are you going to run? But in verse 23, it says, But whatever happens, Ahimeaz said, let me run. So Joab said to him, run. Then Ahimeaz ran by the way of the plain, which is, or the Jordan Valley, and he outran the Ethiopian. And so here, Joab tried to tell Ahimeaz that, look, it wasn't a good time for you to be a messenger. Why? Because the king's son, is dead. Because King David's son, who he wanted to be spared, he's, he's dead. He's been killed. See, Joab, he's been around King David enough. You see, King David is actually um, Joab's uncle. But he's been around King David enough that, that he knew what kind of news David was looking forward to hearing. He knew that. But he also knew that in the past, David had some messengers killed. He had some messengers put to death. These were messengers who thought, for example, that they were sharing good news about King Saul's death. They also thought they were sharing good news about Ishbosheth, King Saul's son's death. And so they thought David was going to be excited about these two men being killed, one of them murdered, and Ishbosheth was the one who was murdered. And so Joab, remember that, you know, this may not be a good time for you to be for you to be the messenger, Ahimeaz. So he sent the Ethiopian. But Ahimeaz, we see here, he insisted on going anyway. Hey, whatever happens, I'm going to go. And we're going to see that Ahimeaz is not going to be put to death, but he will be made to look foolish. And we're going to see that in the following verses. But what you see here is a it is a lesson that, that we can take, a, a, a lesson or a message that we, we can even see today that we've experienced. As you can see here, just like with this Joab, how he's trying to kind of save a from looking foolish or perhaps being put to death with this news. We saw that this man didn't listen. And even today, when we share information with people, trying to help them we we find that some people they 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 just won't listen they, in fact they need to find out for themselves well well you did that when you were younger or, or you did that a few years ago you turned out okay well you know what god was merciful to me but in your case i can't say the same for you you're doing it on you're doing it on purpose whereas some people have done it in ignorance you're you're doing it with your eyes wide open. You've been told over and over again, and so some people they need to find out for themselves. Tell some people, hey, you know, stay away from drugs. Don't, don't, don't smoke that. Don't, don't sniff that. Don't inject that within you. But no, they have to find out for themselves. You know, when someone, you know, my, my friends are doing it, they're gonna. They're going to think I'm not cool. They're going to think I'm a goody two-shoes or whatever they call it these days. They're going to call me a square. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and try it. I, w- I want the experience. They said it made him feel good. So, so I want to try out this drug as well. Or, or maybe I heard this rapper talk about it in his song. And, and he's cool. He, he has a lot of cars and he has a lot of women and houses and money. A lot of chains, or maybe I should try it as well. I'll be okay. We say don't hang with the wrong crowd. Ah, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. These, you know, these folks are cool. Next thing you know, you end up in jail right behind them. Or you end up on some type of witness stand because you needed to find out for yourself. And there's some people like that. Or we may say, don't, don't do that unbiblical practice. It's not spiritually healthy. You don't know what, you, what you're talking about. That is just your way of interpreting the Bible. That, that's just your way, the way you see it. So, uh, no, I'll be okay. Because this other pastor that I heard on YouTube... With the blue hair and all this stuff. Won't go into that. But. This other pastor that I've heard. They they said this. That you're saying is not okay is okay. They said that we were mistranslating. This word about this so-called. Unbiblical practice. We may warn some people about. Sex before marriage. We call it what the Bible call it. And. And then I've seen times where here we, we talk about that or against it. And we warn people of it. And we've seen people during the service get up and walk out. Apparently they didn't like what they heard. See, some people don't want to listen about the dangers of that. And so they need to find out about it for themselves. And I'm not saying when, that I've never done that. That I've never had sex before marriage. But I know better now. I'm a believer now. I got married when I was 18. So I learned my lesson of of, of what can happen when there's sex before marriage. So we pass on that knowledge, that experience, and also information from the word of God to other. But no, I need to find out for myself. In verse 24, it was too quiet in here. Are you Okay. (laughs) We're normally quiet, but it's a different type of quiet. But now verse 24. And now, now David was sitting between the two gates, uh, which is the inner and outer gates of the city, Mahanaim. And, and the watchman or the lookout, he went up to the roof over the gate to the wall. He lifted his eyes and looked and there was a man running alone. And in verse 25, back in 2 Samuel 18, of course, it says, then the watchman cried out and he told the king and the king said, if he's alone, there was news in his mouth. And he came rapidly and drew near. Then the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called to the gatekeeper who opened and shut the gates at the proper time and said, There is another man running alone. And the king said, He also brings news. So the watchman said, I think the running of the first. It's like the running of Ahimeas, the son of Zadok. And the king said, Oh, he is a good man and he comes with good news. And so Ahimeas called out and said to the king, All is well. Then he bowed down with his face to the earth before the king. And he said, blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. The king said, is the young man Absalom safe? Ahimeas answered when Joab sent the king's servant and me your servant. I saw a great tumult or this big disturbance, but I did not know what it was about. And the king said, turn aside or... Move aside and stand here. And so he turned aside and stood still. So now he's looking foolish. In verse 31, it says, Just then the Ethiopian came, and the Ethiopian said, There is good news, my lord the king, for the Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose against you. And the king said to the Cushite, the Ethiopian, Is the young man Absalom safe? So the Kushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise against you to do harm be Like that young man. In other words, be dead like him. You see, Ahimeaz, he came, he ran, and he he didn't report all the news, all the information that David was looking for. The only thing he reported was that David's guys won and Absalom's guys lost, the other side lost. But he was not prepared to answer the question that David really cared about. And so this is what Joab was trying to tell him. You're you're not prepared. You're you're not ready to give news or at least this type of news. So he wasn't prepared to answer this question of whether Absalom is safe. You see, uh, Ahimeas knew the answer because Joab told him back in verse 20. He said, but today you shall take no news because the king's son is dead. And so Jaime asked the priest's son, Zadok's son, he knew the answer, but he could not bring himself to tell David that Absalom was dead. He was not ready. He was not prepared. He was not equipped to share the news. He shared the good part of it, but he wasn't prepared to share this news. And so he gave this vague answer. Well, I just saw this great tumult, but I didn't know what it was about. King David was like, okay, well, you, you stand right here. I'll wait for this other guy. And, of course, the other guy, the Ethiopian, he, he gave the full answer. But, but we do take something from this for us. That, that if we're going to run, metaphorically run, or go out and, and share the gospel, we need to be prepared To share the whole news. To share the whole truth. We need to be prepared to share about the reality of sin. About the reality of death. And the reality of hell. You see people need to know what the Bible says about the condition of mankind. What we need to be saved from. As well as what Jesus did for us. On top of, of course, the blessings that come along with being in relationship with Jesus. But, but some people only like to share about the blessings. Oh, yeah, Jesus is love. He's this cool guy, this great teacher. And you're going to be so blessed just being affiliated with Jesus. But but, but what are you celebrating? Well, why do people need to have a personal relationship with Jesus? You can't, you can't really celebrate Jesus the way we, we, we should be. We can't really talk about the cross or be happy that Jesus went to the cross for us like we should be if we don't talk about sin, if we don't talk about death, if we don't talk about hell. We need to know that we've been saved from the penalty of sin. We need to talk about the fact that the wages of sin is death. We need to talk about the fact that without Jesus, we are on our way to hell. We need to talk about that. That way, when you start with the black canvas, the way you see it in the letter to the Romans, it starts off with this black, dark canvas. When you get to the bright part about what Jesus has done for us, oh, you become excited about that because you saw that, yes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so it, it makes everything brighter when, when you tell the whole story. Everything about Jesus brighter when you tell the whole story of what we needed to be saved from. And so if we're going to run to share the gospel, be prepared to share the whole story. And, and if you're going to meet in a building... And have church service, and, and, and it's not for you because you're here, you, most of you attend here. But, and, but if you're going to meet in a church building, and, and if you're going to have church services, and, and for this, I'm talking to church leaders and things like that. I'm, but I'm saying, for those of you in that role, don't just teach that God is love and want you to enjoy life. Don't just teach that God is love and want you to live your best life now. No, no, you need to share that God is holy and that God doesn't save people so they can remain the same. You know, there's some people who say that they love Jesus, that they have a relationship with Jesus, but then there is no change. Well, is that really salvation? Well, well, I'm not the judge of that. I don't judge motives. We, we're we not called to judge motives or to judge people's salvation, but but we can see fruit. And the reason I bring that up, that that a a person can't be saved, but there's no real change there, is because the Bible says that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. So how can you claim to be a true believer, but then stay the same? Because check this out, when God truly touches a person's life, things cannot stay the same. You, you even seen that with something as simple with jugs of water. You know, when, when Jesus did his miracle with the water, that water did not stay the same. It it turned to wine. You see, when God gets a hold of something, when God gets a hold of somebody's life, when he truly does that, when a person is truly affiliated with Jesus, they cannot remain the same. And so we need to share with people the whole story that, yes, he wants to bless us. Yes, he wants us to enjoy life. Yes, he's a God of love, but also this is a holy God and he wants us to walk in holiness and also he wants us to be changed and be conformed into the image of christ you see if we cannot share the whole truth or all the news then like a jaime asked we need to step aside and let somebody else do it who is going to share the whole truth and nothing but the truth from the word of god then in verse 33 it says then the king was deeply moved. He was overcome with emotion. This is King David. And he went up to the room, the chamber over the city gate, and he wept. And as he went, he said thus, O oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died in your place. O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And your heart just breaks for David in this situation, because as a father or mother or just a family member, you could understand David's anguish after he learns about Absalom's death, even though Absalom had done some wicked things. And even though Absalom was deserving of death, see, he was deserving of death because he was a rebellious son. He was a murderer. He even slept with his father's concubines. Uh, According to the law, he was supposed to be put to death. But even though he was deserving of this, David's heart was broken for his son, and he's grieved for his son. And we can understand that. But if an earthly parent would be this way, if you, those of you who are parents, would be that way, then, then why would God take pleasure in the death of one of the people that he created? Even though they're, they're evil, doing some crazy things, why, why would he take pleasure in their death? And so what we see here in verse 33 is we see God's heart through David's heart. The Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. And so we're, we're seeing God's heart through David's heart we see in what God's heart is like towards those he, he created, even though some are still in their wickedness. They're still in their sin. And so the scripture, of course, is clear. We talked about this even at the beginning of the study, that God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. And what does that word wicked mean? It means evil or immoral. And some synonyms of the word. Wicked are sinful and unrighteous. So, a wicked person is a sinful or unrighteous person, it's an immoral person. And there are, of course, some examples throughout the Bible of some acts of wickedness, and it includes adultery and incest, and it even includes the Israelites rejecting God when they asked for a, a human king. And of course, murder. So a lot of things in the Bible are listed as something that's wicked or sinful or unrighteous. And first Corinthians, for example, chapter six, verses nine and 10, it says, do you not know that the unrighteous, the wicked, the sinful, those who practice these things, in other words, this is a part of their normal lifestyle and they don't have Jesus, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals. Okay. So these, the homosexuals here, these are those who are in a submissive role without being detailed, nor sodomites. These are those who are in the active role in the homosexual relationship, nor thieves, nor covetous. These are greedy people, nor drunkards, nor revilers. These are verbally abusive people, nor extortioners. These are those who cheat people. None of of them who practice these things. And this this is not an exhaustive list of wicked things or sinful things, but those who practice these things will inherit the kingdom of God. And so there are many things in the Bible that are listed as wicked or unrighteous or sinful. But check this out. Although some of us have practiced these things or some of these things in this list at one point before Christ. And even though we were deserving of death. And even though there's some right now in this world who are practicing these things today. There is. Lots of proof in the Bible that God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. If any of these people who practice these things, even us when we were in the world and practicing these things, if we were to die at that moment and go to hell, God would not take pleasure in that. He does not. And once again, there is proof in the scriptures that he does not take pleasure pleasure in the death of the unbeliever or the wicked or sinful or unrighteous, whatever you want to call people who don't have a relationship with Christ. You see in Ezekiel 33 verse 11. Now in context, this is talking to the nation of Israel. It says, say to them, speaking to the house of Israel, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked man turn from his way and live, turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? And so in that verse, we see clearly how God feels about the death of the wicked. He does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. Because when, they, when the wicked dies, when a person dies in their sin, when they die in unforgiveness, without a relationship with Jesus, they're going to spend eternity apart from him in a place called hell, which was actually made for Satan and his angels, those fallen angels. But, but also we see this in Second Peter 3.9. It says that the Lord is not slack. He's not slow concerning his promise, his promise of what? His promise of the second coming as some count slackness, but he's long suffering. He's patient toward us. He's not willing that any should perish. He's not willing that anybody should be destroyed, but that all should come to repentance. And so we see once again, the heart of God through David as David is grieving for his wicked son. But here in this verse in 2 Peter 3, 9, what we see here is God's perfect will for the sinner. This is his perfect will. Man has the opportunity to reject it or walk in God's perfect will. But then we see something else here. 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. And this is the love of God who was in this, the love of God was manifested or revealed toward us that God has sent his only begotten son, his unique son into the world that we might live through him. You want life? The life is through Jesus. In verse 10, in this love, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent Jesus to be the propitiation for the wicked. That, that's all of us. Before Christ and the propitiation—that word—it just means the satisfaction of the wrath of God, the holy wrath of God against sin, because a holy God cannot allow sin to go unpunished. So somebody would have to take the punishment for that sin. So God the Son, Jesus Christ, He took upon a human body and He became the propitiation. He He took the wrath of God upon Himself and He satisfied the holy wrath. Of God. He satisfied the demands of the offended holiness of God. He took it upon himself all because of our sins. So here you see the way out of eternal death. And the way out, of course, is through Jesus Christ. So, so if God feels this way about the death of the wicked, he takes no pleasure in it. And, and if God's perfect will is for the sinner to come to repentance, and, and, if Jesus, and if God made a way for the sinner, for the wicked to not have to go to hell and experience eternal death, then why do some people go to hell? Why, why do people go to hell even still? Well, well, it's because they use the, their free will to continue to go their own way instead of choosing Jesus. So essentially, they choose hell by default. By rejecting Jesus, they're by default saying yes to hell. Even though there's a rescue plan available to them, they, they still choose to go their own way, but... The scriptures also tell us in, in John chapter three verses 19 and 20, it says, and this is the condemnation. This is why people are guilty and deserving of judgment. It says that light has come into the world. Light of course is Jesus and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil for everyone practicing evil. If that's their way of life to practice wickedness, to practice evil, they hate the light and they don't want to come to the light. Why? Because their deeds are going to be exposed. They like what they're doing. And if they come to the light, what they're doing, the evil stuff that they're doing is going to be exposed. They're going to be accountable for it. They, they like what they're doing. and They don't want to stop. And so people love the darkness. Another reason some people go to hell. But then you have to understand this about God. God does not force and will not force anyone to spend eternity with him. Imagine that. If you don't want to spend time with God on this side of heaven, if you don't want nothing to do with Jesus on this side of eternity, what makes you think God is going to force you to spend eternity with him? It doesn't work like that. God gives us free will. He doesn't, doesn't force us to be with him whether in this life or in eternity. But as we talk about God, and many of us here, I know many of you can call ourselves the children of God because we put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. So as we talk about God and his heart, and his heart for the wicked, that he does not take pleasure in their death. As we talk about that, I'm going to bring it around full circle. Now, I'm going to ask, what about us? Is your heart in line with the heart of God regarding the death of the wicked? Oh, yes, we we, we see the stuff that's going on in this country and in this world. We, we, We experience the poor treatment that some people give to us on our jobs and in our communities. Some of us have been bullied growing up. Made fun of people may have stolen from you. People may have cheated on you. Oh people, they may have even physically hurt you. Emotionally hurt you. But but is your heart in line with the heart of God? regarding the death of the wicked or regarding the wicked in general or do you, or would we just rather see the wicked those who hurt us those who are hurting others the wicked Would we just rather see them just nor just wipe them out because if he did that if he did that before august of 1997 i would have gone to hell And some of you maybe have been recently saved. If he totally wiped out all the wicked, some of you will be going to hell as well. And so is your heart in line with the heart of God regarding the death of the wicked? As the worship team takes the stage. But, but here's the thing. As we're talking about our heart being in line with the heart of God in regard to the death of the wicked, here's the thing. Because the major theme of 2 Samuel and even 1 Samuel that the Lord had placed upon my heart is reaching our full potential in Christ. Again, talking about spiritual growth, becoming more and more like Jesus, becoming all that God wants us to be, doing all that God wants us to do. So as we talk about our hearts being in line with his, especially in regard to the death of the wicked or the wicked in general, I'm going to say this, and I'll I'll, I'll leave us all with this. What I want to share with you is that we know that we have spiritually grown and have become more like Jesus if we would rather see the wicked saved than go to hell. If we would rather see the wicked people the people who are doing crazy stuff. Now, if we were rather for them to hear the gospel, receive Jesus and go to heaven. If we were rather for that to happen than for them to be wiped out in a flood or whatever the case may be, if we would rather to, for them to go to heaven than for them to die. Then you know you have grown. Then you know you have matured. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not wiped us out when we were still in our sins. We thank you that you have been long suffering with us and help us, Lord, to have your same heart. Oh, we know that judgment is going to come. But before it comes, Lord, help us to be diligent about taking advantage of opportunities to share the gospel with the lost because you love them and you demonstrated your love by sending Jesus to die for sinners while they were yet sinners. And I'm personally a, am grateful for your mercy and grace in my life. And I know many of my brothers and sisters are thankful for your grace and mercy as well. And so Father, equip us this week, use this us this week according to your will. Bless our week, help us to be a blessing. Keep us safe, Lord, as we leave this place, but not your presence. Help us to have traveling grace in this weather and continue to transform us by your word and by your spirit. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.